I have a few announcements as we stall for Andy to <laughs> get warmed up and in dry clothes. One is the Remove the High Places books are being ordered. You can get yours online. That is for our sermon series coming in February. You can get those on our website. Another is you are all invited to our Christmas Eve service this Friday. We have one at 4 and one at 6 p.m. So we hope that you join us. I also want to give you an update for our children's ministry. We are going to keep with this rhythm where we meet every other week at our 10 o'clock service, and that is because what better way to model what it looks like to be the family of Christ than having them here with us. Now, when families get together, it can be loud and a little messy, and we're okay with that. We know that children can be loud, and we want to invite them in. We don't see the children just as people to be occupied on Sundays. We want them to be a part of this family and to feel like they are a part of this family. However, it is Kids Sunday, and today, kids, we are going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So you guys can head down to room 100. You guys are dismissed. I don't know where Andy is, but I have to go downstairs. I thought about waiting downstairs just a little bit longer to see if Gary Cook would come up and do more stand-up comedy, but all right. I love baptisms, and uh, I love preaching, and sometimes it's hard to do those two together, Um, but if you would find in your Bibles Matthew chapter 5, Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, so go about three-quarters of the way through, and you'll find Matthew. If you see Mark or Luke, you've gone a little too far. Just go back a few pages. Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing a series through the Beatitudes, and while you are finding that, let me set up the topic for today. By the way, uh, Joe is our children's ministry director, and today's her birthday, so I think she already snuck out, but if you see her Just tell her happy birthday. Um, All right, so um, let's look at the Beatitudes. Let me set it up this way. Uh, The the last church I was at, I was the associate pastor. I was in my mid-20s, and I was a little bit of a hothead. And um, I probably told part of this story before, but I'll just share a little bit, maybe a different angle on it. Um, There was one time shortly after I got hired there that uh, I was frustrated with the lead pastor, Brian Bill. And I don't even remember what I was angry about. Uh, I just remember I was angry, and I had this tendency when I was angry to sit down at my computer and write this really nasty, snarky email expressing all of my, you know, venting all of my frustration. And that was a bad habit. By the way, email is a terrible way 
to express your frustration with somebody. Every time in my life that I've sent a frustrated email, I have regretted it. Every time. Um, so I'll never do that. But I, I, I did that in this shortly after I started. I, I was frustrated with him. Don't even remember why. I sit down. I write this kind of nasty email to him, letting him know my thoughts. And by all accounts, I should have been fired. But do you know what he did? He took me out for breakfast. Instead of firing me, he took me out for breakfast. And, and as we were eating together, he did not say, how dare you write to me that way? How dare you talk to me that way? I am your superior. I am your supervisor. You have no, he didn't, he didn't even address the disrespectful tone or the disrespectful words that I had used in my email. Instead, as we're eating breakfast together, he said, let me help you understand why sending an email doesn't always accomplish what you're trying to get done. And here, I'm feeling about this big because he dealt with me with such grace. You've probably figured out by now that the, the beatitude we're going to be talking about today is blessed are the peacemakers. Brian was a peacemaker with me. Um, and so let's, let's read through the beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1, seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are the Beatitudes. We've been going through one each week. This is the week where we do Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The question that I have is, are you a peacemaker? Am I a peacemaker? I want to be blessed. I want to be called a son or a daughter, a child of God. Um, but I need to be a peacemaker. So what, is, what does that mean? What is a peacemaker? That's really the question for this morning. If I'm going to be a peacemaker, I need to know what it is that I'm trying to be. What is a peacemaker? Now, um, I looked up some synonyms in, uh, on thesaurus.com uh, of peacemaker, and here are some of the ones that came up. Negotiator, adjudicator, passive resistor, conscientious objector. Is that what Jesus was talking about? Blessed are the conscientious objectors. That's probably not what he meant. So what did he mean? We're going to jump around all over the scriptures this morning as we explore this idea of being a peacemaker. And I have three points. Uh, and the first one is this. Peacemakers are not passive pushovers. Peacemakers are not complacent cowards. Right, peacemaking is not a passive endeavor. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who hide in the closet and wait until all the tension and conflict has gone away and then come out. 
That's not what Jesus said. That's not what being a peacemaker is. It's not passive. Peace must be pursued. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, those who actively strive for peace. The Bible teaches throughout uh, that we should strive for peace. Psalm 34, verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And that's just one example from the Old Testament. Romans chapter 14, verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, peace must be sought after. It must be pursued. It must be strived for. You, you don't, the, the word strive, we don't often connect the word strive with the word peace because usually when I think about striving with someone, I'm thinking about fighting with them, wrestling with them, arguing with them, striving to get my way. And that's what Hebrews says, no, 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 no. Strive for peace. Pursue, seek, actively uh, pursue and seek out peace. It's an active thing. It's not a passive thing. And that's because peace is not the absence of tension, but peace is the presence of justice. We hear the word peace today, and a lot of times we think, oh, what is peace? Peace is tranquility, it's calm, it's the absence of conflict, it's the absence of tension, it's no more wars, it's just my life is so peaceful, um, peace, you know, that, that's not what peace in the Bible is talking about. Peace in the Bible is not the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. John Stott says the words peace and appeasement are not synonyms. Peacemakers are not appeasers. Peace and appeasement are not synonyms because the peace of God is not peace at any cost. And sometimes when we're trying to be peacemakers, we think, well, we, that means the, to avoid all conflict, and that means I will put up with something that is wrong. I will put up with injustice for the sake of avoiding this confrontation because I'm supposed to be a peacemaker, right? No, that's not making peace. Tolerating injustice for the sake of avoiding conflict is not making peace. In fact, God's justice is always disruptive to unjust tranquility. That's why the very next beatitude is, blessed are those who are persecuted. Peacemaking is, a, is not a passive thing. Peacemakers are not passive pushovers because peace is not the absence of tension. It's the presence of justice. Or to put it in another biblical term, peace is shalom. Now, shalom is a Hebrew word. It goes all the way back into the Old Testament. It is most often translated into English as the word peace, but it is so much bigger than our English word peace. And since shalom is a Jewish concept, I asked our resident Jewish expert, Heather Hoffman, to do some research for me on this concept of shalom, to talk to some rabbis who are uh, friends of hers, and to get me some information about what this word shalom really means. By the way, if, you ever, if you're someone who likes to do theological or biblical research, uh, let me know, because we've got some sermon series coming up over the next year, and I would be happy to uh, give you assignments and let you write papers for me, like school again. Boy, that'd be fun. 
Peace is shalom. What is shalom? I'm going to share with you some of Heather's notes uh, from her research. Here is a definition of shalom. Shalom is the biblical concept that most commonly relates to a relationship of love and loyalty with God and others. Peace carries the fundamental meaning of welfare, prosperity, and wholeness, as well as the absence of hostility. So the absence of hostility is what we think of when we think peace, but peace is so much bigger than that. Shalom is so much bigger than that. Really what it is, it is loving and loyal relationships with God and one another. And that loving, loyal relationship produces prosperity and welfare and wholeness and the absence of hostility. That's what shalom is. That's a definition. Rabbis today often tell this story as an illustration of what shalom is. So there's a woman who is going on a trip. She goes to the airport and she buys a box of cookies and a book before she boards the airplane. Once on board the plane, she settled down with her book, but she was already tired from a long day, so she dropped off to sleep. When she woke up, the man beside her had opened up the box of cookies, placed it between them, and was eating her cookies. The woman did not want to make a scene, but she was annoyed that this stranger had the nerve to open her cookies and start eating. Now, she was not about to let him have all of her cookies, so she reached in, got a handful, and started to eat herself. He then reached in, got another handful, and kept eating. She wanted to punch the guy. However, she was a Christian, so she didn't do that. But she made sure that whenever he ate a cookie, she ate a cookie too, because she was at least going to get half of her box of cookies. It got down to the very last cookie in the box. With a smile, the man took the last one, broke it in two, and gave her half. And she thought, this guy has some nerve. He didn't even say thank you. A little while later, the plane landed, the stranger left, and she was glad to see the cookie thief go. She got up, she began to collect her belongings. She opened her bag to put her book in, and she saw her own box of cookies. In total shock, she realized that she had been eating his cookies and that he had willingly shared them with her. She was the rude and unthankful person who had been treated with startling kindness by a stranger. That's shalom. That is peace. That's what we're supposed to make. Now, how do we do that? How do we, not, not passively, but actively pursue this peace? Well, we have to aim at the right target. This idea of aiming at the right target has come back to me over and over and over again. God's brought it up to me over the last year many, many times. And it's the idea that we can do all the right things, but if we're aiming at the wrong target, we still miss the mark. If we want to pursue shalom, peace, we need to aim at the right target. Shalom is the relationship of love and loyalty with God and one another. The effect of shalom, the product, the fruit, what is produced from that shalom is the peace that that is the welfare, the prosperity, and the wholeness of people. If we are aiming for the effect of peace, welfare, prosperity, wholeness, the absence of hostility, but we don't have relationships of love and loyalty with God and others, we won't get there. 
We could do all the right things, but we'll miss the mark because the, the peace is produced out of the right relationship with God and others. So in striving for peace, what we're striving for is loving and loyal relationships with God and with other people. And when we live that way, we will get the effect of peace and prosperity and wholeness and sometimes the absence of hostility. But we know that God's justice disrupts the injustice around us and there is pushback. The first point that we're trying to get is what is a peacemaker? Well, a peacemaker is not a passive pushover. The second point this morning is this. Peacemakers are not pugnacious punks. Now, I don't usually use a lot of alliteration in the sermons because I think it's kind of cheesy. But when it's going to be cheesy, you just got to go big or go home, right? So peacemakers are not pugnacious punks. I love the alliteration. Peacemakers are not cantankerous cranks. I don't know. Peacemakers are not belligerent bullies. Peacemakers are not uh, argumentative uh, um, uh, attack dogs. I don't know. Uh, We come up with all kinds of stuff, right? Peacemakers are not pugnacious punks. Well, what does the word pugnacious mean? Uh, It means this, eager or quick to argue, quarrel, or fight. So peacemakers are not passive pushovers, but we're not eager or quick to argue, quarrel, or fight either. We're not out there looking to start up an argument with everybody that disagrees with our view. That's not making peace. In fact, we need to beware of the desire to establish peace through violence or oppression or domination. That's not the way of God's peace. That's the way of the world's peace. When Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, it was during the Roman Empire, and the, Roman, uh, the Romans had conquered pretty much all of the known world at that time, and they were going around trumpeting their own success at bringing peace on earth, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And they had accomplished that. Do you know how they brought peace everywhere? They killed everybody that disagreed with them. That's a great way of establishing peace. Anybody that's going to oppose me, I'll just kill them. Then there will be peace on earth. I'll kill everybody that disagrees with me. That's the way the world brings peace. I will silence any opponent that I have. I will discredit anyone whose view is different than mine. I will go on a campaign of character assassination to destroy anyone who disagrees with me. And I will dominate everybody around me, and then I'll have peace. That's not peace the way that God brings peace. That's peace as the world gives Jesus said in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Jesus doesn't bring peace the way the world brings peace. The peace of Christ is not peace that is won at a sword. Now someday Jesus will return, he'll ride out of heaven on his white horse and he'll have his sword and he will destroy evil once and for all and I look forward to that day, but that day's not yet. And in the middle, in the meantime, we don't bring peace, we don't establish God's shalom through violence or oppression or social media rants or hating people who see the world differently than we do. That's not how peace comes about. To quote scholar Heather Hoffman, reconciling others to God, and I would add, or to one another, 
because I think this principle works whether it's relationships with God or relationships with others. Reconciling others to God or to one another does not come by chastising or shaming, but by extending shalom. I'm going to read that again because this is, if you don't get anything else about making peace from today's message, remember this. Reconciling others to God or to one another does not come by chastising or shaming, but by extending shalom. By greeting another in peace, the individual being addressed feels a sense of worthiness that leads to self-reflection and transformation. When you extend peace to someone else, you are recognizing and elevating their dignity as a human being made in the image of God, someone worth loving, someone worth treating with kindness and respect. They are not a piece of garbage to be tossed aside because they disagree with you. They are not some refuse that you can just trample on and then kick out of the way. No, they are a human being made in the image of God. Jesus Christ himself gave his life for them. When we extend peace to people, we are elevating their dignity and their status as human beings made in the image of God. And it is that worth... They are someone worth loving. It is that sense of worth that makes them say, maybe I am someone worth loving. And that's what makes them evaluate their own actions, and that's what leads them to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Right? That's what it is. It's it's not chastising. It's not shaming. It's not belittling. It is recognizing their dignity by extending shalom to them. Peacemakers are not pugnacious punks. So we're not passive pushovers, not pugnacious punks. Number three, peacemakers are, does anybody want to guess? It's got to be a P. Peacemakers are portraits. Portraits of, I was going to say portraits of the powerful prince of peace, but I thought maybe that'd be a little too over the top with P's. Portraits of Christ. Well, it's not a P, but that's okay. Peacemakers are portraits of Christ, a portrait like a family portrait. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We have a family resemblance. With peacemakers, it's like father, like son. Peacemakers are pictures, portraits of Christ. God started the peacemaking process, and we continue it. That's what we do. It's no coincidence that we're coming to uh, peacemaking on the Sunday before Christmas. Because it was with the birth of Christ that God began the peace-making process in the world. When Jesus was born, the angels came and visited the shepherds. And in Luke chapter 2, the angels said to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. God began the peacemaking process by sending his son to re-establish peace with God and humankind. The shepherds, they went into Bethlehem. They saw everything that Jesus, that the angels had described to them. They saw the baby and everything. And then what did they do in verse 17? When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. God started the peacemaking process. We continue it. God uh, reconnects us with him, reestablishes peace with him, and we extend that peace to others, just like Jesus did. We need to be peacemakers like Christ was a peacemaker. But how did Jesus make peace? Colossians chapter 1. 
Verse 19, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus made peace through self-sacrifice, giving his life so that we could be reconnected with God. See, the greatest obstacle to peace on earth today is our broken relationship with God. We cannot establish peace on earth if we do not have peace with God. We can't give what we have not received. Jesus came to remove that obstacle. He came and he lived as one of us. He died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. We could have peace with God, not at the end of a sword, but through the blood of his cross. God uh, solved that problem, and then he calls us to extend that peace just like Jesus did. But just like it cost Jesus his life, peacemaking is a costly endeavor for us. If the greatest obstacle to peace is our broken relationship with God, the second greatest obstacle to peace is our self-preservation. As long as I am looking out for number one and the interest of self, I am not going to be able to make the sacrificial calls that I need to make to do the things that I need to do to extend peace and shalom to others. We need to follow in the footsteps of Christ. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Peacemaking is a costly endeavor. But when we are willing to set aside self and pursue loving and loyal relationships with God and others, then we bear a family resemblance to our father. Like father, like son, we are portraits of Christ and we are peacemakers. I've been, uh, I'll close with this, I've been reading the Sermon on the Mount um, in the message translation with uh, Asher and Jack at night. By the way, the message translation, uh, Sermon on the Mount part is really, really good. If you've never read it in the message, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, it's, it's, he's just got some really good zingers. And I wanted to close with this selection. Um, right after Jesus gives the Beatitudes, they're kind of the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And then right after that, he goes on and continues to teach. And here's what he says in Matthew 5, 13 in the message. He says, let me tell you why you are here. Boy, that's a really interesting thing to say. Let me tell you why you are here. Why do you exist? What is the purpose of your life? Why are you here? And guess what he doesn't say? He doesn't say you're here to have career success. He doesn't say that you're here to retire with a nice nest egg in the bank. He doesn't say you're here to raise kids who go to college and get a good job and live happily ever after. He doesn't say that you're here to achieve the pinnacle of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and self-actualize yourself on the world around you. That's, he doesn't say any of that. No, no, here's why you're here. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Wow, that's why I'm here. It's actually not about me at all. It's about bringing out the God flavors of this earth. 
He says, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? And I read that, and I just needed to kneel down and repent. (laughs) You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you out there on the hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. By opening up to others, you'll prompt them to be open with God. This is why we're here to bring out the God flavors, to to show the God colors of the world, to let people taste godliness in our lives. Let me conclude with some reflection questions. Peace or shalom is a relationship of love and loyalty with God and one another. And so here are some questions to reflect on as we conclude the service today. Number one, do you have shalom with God? You cannot give to others what you have not received Are you in right relationship with God? Is there anything that you need to confess? Have you decided to accept God's terms of peace through Jesus Christ who came and died in your place to pay for your sin so that you could be reconciled to God through the blood of his cross? Are you in good, right relationship with God? Do you have shalom with God? And if you do, do you have shalom with others? Holidays are uh, difficult seasons for many people. Families oftentimes have uh, tension and conflict that just sort of boils under the surface. Is there a family member, is there a neighbor, is there a coworker or a friend with whom you have had some conflict that you need to either call and say, I'm sorry, I'm confess and repent, or that you need to extend forgiveness to? Are you in shalom? Do you have shalom with others? And the third question for reflection this morning is, does your life bring out the God flavors of the earth? Does your life reflect the God colors of the world? When people are around you, do they taste godliness? Is that the way that I am living? Let's just take a moment and prayerfully reflect on those questions. Lord, we invite you through your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts right now to gently but lovingly and firmly challenge us. Are we in right relationship with you? Do we have shalom with others? Am I living in such a way that people can taste the God flavors as you've created them to be? Would you speak to our hearts?
Lord, we thank you for speaking to our hearts. I pray that you would move in us to apply whatever you've said, to take whatever steps you've called us to take. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been uh, including each week in this series a, a challenge. So here's my challenge for you this week. To be a peacemaker requires relationship. And relationships of love and loyalty require vulnerability and opening up. So my challenge to you this week is open up to someone this Christmas season. Just open up. Take off the armor. Put down the shield. Let somebody in. By opening up with them, you'll prompt them to be open with God. Let's go this week as peacemakers and extend shalom to one another and to others on our way out. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday or Friday for Christmas Eve. Yes.